want to make sure that 80% of your users go through 20% of your conversational path. If you're not aware of that, before you know it, you're going to be spending 80% of your time working on 20% of all the exceptions. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Today we have Hans Van Dam from Amsterdam. The first time I met him was in Chatbot Summit here in Tel Aviv. And since then, I've been following his work, working as a co-founder at a company named the Robocopy based in Amsterdam. They're doing a fantastic job. They have a fantastic team that I met in Amsterdam, voicing out conversation design. So they have also the Conversation Design Academy, and they educate people from all over the world about how to create chatbots, how to create more conversational experiences i've seen hans on stage twice and since then is like burning stages <laughs> uh, all over the world and i'm very excited to have him here today hans how are you my friend oh good thanks for having me man looking forward to this good 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 i'm happy to have you and i personally learned a lot from you and from your courses i thought that the name of this talk is going to be testing your copy like a wizard because i, I learned from you the wizard of oz testing from your course it was really cool i know that it's not something new but like i love the way that you implemented it and how you implement it with your clients so that's me talking too much but for hans i would love to hear more about your background and how did you got into conversation design yeah yeah perfect i guess like every copywriter i'm a failed novelist first and foremost mm -hmm. right so i wanted to be a writer I wrote a manuscript at one point, but like nobody cared for it. So I became a copywriter. I started working at a tech incubator here in Amsterdam. It's a program run by MIT, Stanford, and the university here. So they'll help like tech companies, science-driven tech companies, sort of find your proposition. So I was working with that, and I learned about technology there, which started to interest me more and more. And then we had our own little startup that failed miserably. So I, I needed to get a job, so I started working in customer service real quick. Which product were you working on that was failing miserably? Yeah, that was a video streaming thing. Yeah, so we had like very smart engineers, and it was a lot of fun. It was actually a very good product, but we should have been successful, but we failed miserably. You know, it's just sometimes about timing and about stuff that is not relevant even to the product itself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I had no idea what I was doing personally. So I got fired from that one, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> which was great. And then the company went bust a couple of months later. So that was perfect. Mm. It happened to me also before, by the way. I was fired from a company. The name of the company is Marvel. Not the comics one. It's like uh, much more boring uh, things. It's uh, okay, yeah. like, you know, maybe Qualcomm. It's like 95% of the phones have Qualcomm thingies inside of them, right? So Marvel was doing like the other 5% low-cost uh, smartphones. And that was one of the best jobs of my life. They sent me abroad a lot to just like check cheap smartphones on different networks. So I traveled all over the world with my phone, just checking like those phones. And at some point I was fired. And yeah, that was uh, really like being fired is, is very difficult, difficult thing to happen to you. You know, it's hard. And like two months after, there was like huge layouts. This Chinese company kind of kicked their ass and they had to lay out like 200 people. And all of my team was also uh, yeah. fired. And I was like, I wasn't happy about it, but I was like, okay. So if I was 
staying there, I was getting fired mm-hmm. anyway. So whatever. Yeah. So everything happened for yeah, me. So I was dead broke. So I needed some money. So I started working in customer service, talking to customers on social media for on Twitter for KLM. Yeah. So I was doing the customer service there and I saw these chatbots pop up. It used to be like very simple Q&A chatbots. You would ask a question and then they would not know the answer. But that became right. more conversational. So I was like, okay, I understand how to write dialogue from fiction. I understand how this technology works. And I now understand the service space. So I just started exploring that and, and started obsessing over a little bit, working with some clients already. And then I met my co-founders that had a behavior design agency. So there's psychologists thinking about desired behavior from users and, and using psychology for that. And they were using, they were exploring dialogues as well to just influence people. So we figured if we team up, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because I understand the artificial brain and they really understand the human brain. So if we match that, then we're going to be able to really create useful conversations between humans and AI and making chatbots and voice assistants much more human-centric and helpful to people. So that's sort of what we started exploring. And for us now, what we've turned ourselves into is really a company that recognizes, develops, and promotes the role of the conversation designer. Well, we feel that conversation design is going to be a very important job in the future. So we want to promote it, get as many people to be aware about that, create awareness around it. And then we provide training and certification around that to really mature this industry. Because we feel like every company now has like 50 UX designers. Well, five years from now, you're going to have 50 conversation designers. And they don't exist yet, right? And so we need to figure out through assessments like who can potentially become conversation designer what's the skill set that they need and then how do we make sure that you know they can actually provide quality around that that's really interesting because first of all i love the like your vision is something that i really can agree with and also when your talks you talk about the movie her which is also a really nice reference or westworld which is also a nice reference for like how to make our technology more human yeah so 50 years from now, there's going to be more, there's going to be conversation designers and not necessarily UX designers. And who do you think will take those roles? Like writers, designers, like what's going to be their background? Yeah, they come from all walks of life, right? I think companies are going to be using AI to talk to people. That's a big deal. And, and then you have to ask, like, who do we want to be in charge of that? And it's probably not the engineers, right? What excites me most is that, you know, because I'm a writer, I'm a creative. I had never, I never had any place in, in the tech industry. But now as sort of that potential of AI is out there, but also the risks of it, you can see this amazing need for people from different backgrounds that are writers, philosophers, that are actors, all these people that have a completely different mindset about these things, about problem solving, that now find their place in technology, where it's going to be much more around ethics and AI. So we sort of see three different roles emerge at most departments. You have your conversational AI trainers. So these are people that you know work with the platforms. They work with the technology. They go over the data. They do the analytics. They do intent scoping. These are often like your overqualified customer service people, mm-hmm. a bit more technical. Then you've got your conversation designers that will do research, that will do sample dialogue, that will validate it through the Wizard of Oz test. Mm-hmm. These are people with a UX background. And then you'll have your conversational expert 
which is more in charge of tone of voice, about psychology, about bot personality, and drives the strategy a bit more. Those are people that are your expert copywriters that come from communication, that come from marketing. So you'll see that everybody has a different background. And in these conversation design teams, as they grow there's going to be more and more rules to divide. So we work with a lot of universities now to just tell students, like, there's an amazing career opportunity for you here around conversation design. And you get to work with, like, the most advanced technology without being an engineer, right? It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So you see people from all different backgrounds sort of sign up for the academy. That's amazing. I really love the fact that you promote it among universities because I think that universities have so much catching up to do with what's happening today with the world. So that's a really good idea. That's amazing. So there is like three different roles that you envision that are going to be in the future. One that is going to be more related to creating the voice and tone, the character with more like a kind of a psychology background. One that is going to be more about the conversation designer, right? To actually create those interactions and one that is going to be overqualified customer support, right? Yeah, so that's the AI trainer, right? So that system smarter. Feeding the AI with data and stuff like that. And you were mentioning the, the term wizard of Oz testing. Yeah. So tell me more about that to the listeners that's not sure about this methodology. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's Wizard of Oz test is a lot of fun. It is. <laughs> so our good friend Wally from Google introduced me to it. What you pretty much do with a Wizard of Oz test, the process is like this. You do sample dialogue. Pretty much what happens is, because I'll, I'll back it up a little bit, right? So the way we design is we, we do sample dialogue. We look at the bot needs and the user needs, right? So we have a canvas for that. Because our perspective is that if you have a conversation between a bot and a human, then they both have a certain expectation, a certain goal in that conversation. So we need to understand that, right? So from the user's perspective, we'll look at what is their context, what are their motivations, what are their anxieties, what are their expectations, pretty much everything that we can know about them. And we'll put that on the canvas. We'll do that from the bot's perspective as well, because if the bot wants to engage in a conversation, then we need to know what is information that he needs to have to help this customer, or what is information that he might already have. Does he have any superpowers where he can look stuff up in a database? Is there legal information that he must share, right? There's a lot of stuff going on in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So we'll put that on the canvas, and what we'll do then is we'll do sample dialogue, and what that means is that you sit two people back-to-back from each other so they can't see each other, and they only have words to communicate. And then one person's going to be playing the user and the other one's going to be playing the bot. And they pretty much do improvisational theater to figure out what the most natural flow of the conversation is. Right? And it'll be super awkward at first. And you're, you, the person playing the user will be asking a ton of questions. Like, all right, but how long does it take to ship? What does it cost? Does it break quickly? Do you have it in a different color? How does that work? So all these questions the user asks Pretty much we have to ask ourselves, is this a question that more people would have? And if that's the case, then it's probably something the person playing the bot should proactively communicate, right? So as you do this exercise, you're going to get to a situation where the bot very much understands the user and he answers the questions before the user even has them, right? And that creates a lot of empathy. And what you'll get to is a conversation that, you know, if there's empathy in the beginning and you feel understood, you feel like I, I get you, then you're okay with me taking control of the conversation, right? And then it becomes quite relaxed and, and friendly. But if you don't feel understood by me, 
then you'll start talking a lot, right? Because you want me to understand you. And that's usually when chatbots break, right? So we'll do this exercise to get to a structure of the conversation that feels most natural, right? But now we've done that with two people. So we still don't really know how that works for other people. Because we're dealing with an interface where your user can say whatever he wants at any given moment, pretty much, right? So there's a lot of risk there. So we want to very quickly validate if that works. So without starting to develop anything yet, we'll take this core structure of the conversation and we'll do the Wizard of Oz test. And what it pretty much means is that we'll bring five to ten people in. And whatever the use case is we've been working on, maybe someone says, I want to book a table at a restaurant or something. We have designed a conversation for that, pretty much like a low fidelity conversation design. Mm -hmm. We'll bring people in and we'll just let them have the conversation. So they can speak freely, but we will say what it is that we had designed, right? And we'll do it. So somebody, if it's uh, booking a table at a restaurant, we'll just tell someone, hey, you feel like this and this, you want to book a table at a restaurant, and they speak freely. And we just read out what we've written down. And very quickly, we'll discover what does and doesn't hold up. Because you're within with five to ten people, you're gonna discover everything that's wrong with it. Because someone will say something that you're like, oh God, I hadn't thought of that. Back to the drawing board, right? So five to ten people is going to figure help you figure out what does and doesn't work when you should hand it over to maybe a website or to an agent or give them a phone number where it gets too complicated. So Wizard of Oz helps you really in like a few hours completely validate your design. And then at the end of the test, you will know you know, the structure of the conversation, you will know how it's going to work for 80% of the users and that it makes sense. And then it's about polishing and making it better again, obviously, sort of going to like a high fidelity design. Amazing. Many people that creating a bot experience today talk about that 80%, like creating the experience for 80% of the users and not trying to cover all the possible use cases because that's just not possible, right? Yeah, it has to do with long tail design, right? So you want to make sure that 80% of your users go through 20% of your conversational path. And then if you sort of, if you don't really, if you're not aware of that, before you know it, you're going to be spending 80% of your time working on 20% of all the exceptions and all the weird stuff. Pretty much means, right, if you're due booking a table at a restaurant, if people want to make a reservation for like six people at eight o'clock, then that's totally fine. If there are 11 and two of them are in a wheelchair and three of them are gluten-free and two of them are vegan, just give us a call, right? Like that's not something the bot should be able to handle for now. So just focus on, you know, simple, a bunch of people want to put in a reservation for a certain time. That's the stuff the bot should handle. The rest of it, don't bother. First of all, thank you for that answer. I learned also even more right now about the Wizard of Oz testings. So thank you for that. It really reminds me, by the way, also for the UX writers, they have this, I think they call it marker testing that you don't you just print the wireframes and hand it out to different prospects, like bring five to 10 people over, even people like your colleagues. And together you, you just let them use a, a marker just to tell them that they will tell you what these words tells them or which other words would they recommend to you and stuff like that. So... Yeah, it's pretty similar, I guess, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really, really cool. And what would be, for our listeners right now that want to create a conversational interface, maybe some kind of a bot, what would be the most common use cases today for creating a bot? I know that there is a B-bot that's creating an airport bot right now. Yeah, I was just talking to Akimi. Mm -hmm. I love them. Oh, yeah, big fan. 
Yes, yes, yes. I came from uh, also she was uh, I've seen her speak at the chatbot summit as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah I've seen her a couple of weeks ago. I was just talking to her. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And uh, so my question is, what will be the most common use cases today for uh, creating a chatbot? I mean, the most common use case for chatbots is the boring stuff, right? So it's about well, customer service, which is actually very complicated. Most companies, the major use case of is reducing costs in call centers and making it easier for people to find you know, solutions to their problems, get their questions answered. That's the most common, and that's where you see the big operations. But you now also see more and more stuff around uh, lead generation, what we do a lot of. So we'll have like an email campaign, and instead of going to a landing page, we'll actually send them to a chatbot and have a more persuasive conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Facebook uh, Messenger? No, usually it's a uh, Facebook Messenger. It's not that interesting. It's not much going on there. Uh, no, usually it's like a nice landing page with a chatbot on it. Mm. So it's a very, uh, but it's, it will be the only thing there. So it's often like a, a nice header or a nice photo with a, a conversational interface where it's mm. just that conversation, right? Which kind of tool do you plug to the back end of it? Like ManyChat or something else? We have our own stuff as well. And we work with, sort of depends on who the client is, but we have our own tool for that as well. Mm. Uh, it's called One Question. But there's like there's many solutions to that, and there's also companies that just use you know if they have a conversation or a, a customer service operation going, then they'll just use that engine for this campaign as well, right? So it's like it really depends. But there's very simple like lead gen conversational tools. Typeform is also mm. you know, launching, or I think it's already live. Their conversational interfaces, which can really be used for that, which are the video ones, right? The video one, I don't know, like they, they have, like now you can publish it as a chatbot. If you create a form, you can publish it as a chatbot. You can do oh. it like as a chat widget or you can do it as a full page, a bit like Landbot does. So there's really, it depends on what kind of company you are. It depends on what the desired behavior is, the rest of your ecosystem. I think a lot of companies are over-investing in technology, right? So they'll buy fancy stuff and try and get that to work. But a lot of times, if you just do the design, you figure out what the most what the conversation actually is that you want to have with your customers. It helps you select the right tools. And a lot of times companies are spending a hundred grand on technology where really fifty bucks would have done for what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to get clients to just focus more on design and make that equally important as the engineering. And then you know, that helps you to then just decide what kind of technology you need. Right, because probably for customer support, and I, I don't have a lot of experience with this tool, you can use maybe uh, Intercom or Zendesk or stuff like that? You can do that too, but if you look at the real customer service departments where we work with companies that get 30 million chats a month. Wow. Uh, so then you're going to need some heavier equipment for that. So then you end up with the big ones like Raza with Microsoft, with IBM Watson, dialogue flow a little bit life person so there's there's really like big companies that that really understand what you need so there's clients that where there's a hundred people working on a chatbot full-time right these are very serious operations and then obviously if you're like a small business and you want to get some lead gen so you want a simple chatbot then i mean intercoms and ask they provide for that right so it's really there's no 
answer to what you need. It depends on your ambitions now and your ambitions like five years from now, what you want to invest in, right? So usually what happens is a company will have one little chatbot, somebody testing it out a little bit. Well, then that becomes a little smarter, gets more capabilities. Then other departments will think, oh, now I want a chatbot too or a voice assistant, it doesn't really matter. And then you'll have a company with like all these different conversational experiences going on. So then one person is clever enough that says, you know, we need to sort of organize this a little bit and create one conversational AI department, right? And once you get to that point, that's usually when you start making very adult decisions about what kind of technology do I want to invest in and how do I develop, develop the capabilities of my staff, etc. And that's, that's sort of the maturity model that we see. Amazing. So this field, not enough people are talking about the fact that this is going to be a huge part of our future. Yeah, like, uh, like for us, the first thing I tell my clients is that I don't really care about your chatbot or voice assistant. You're going to be using AI to talk to people. And that's going to be a big deal. And that's going to be very important. And that's going to be a serious department. So let's think about how we're going to organize that, right? And, and that's why when we say we recognize the role of the conversation designer, sure, we need to teach people how to write and make these things friendly and good. But there is a very large trend going on towards AI. Mm-hmm. So these are going to be very important departments. Do you have some kind of a case study you could share about an impact that you created in organization using AI and chatbots that really created a huge impact on the organization? Well, if you look at a large telco, they're on stage a lot. They mention us a lot, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say their name. But what we do is like they have one chatbot that's very famous and uh, pretty much in every country that they operate in. So that's 30, 40 countries. Mm-hmm. They have what is that company exactly? <laughs> it's a it's a telco. So telco. they do yeah, it's a big telco. So they operate the same chatbot and voice experience in all these different countries. So what we do is help them develop design teams in all those countries. And we do that by really creating custom curriculum for them. Mm-hmm. So I'll you know, we created videos for them that everybody in the organization can watch so they can learn about conversation design. Then we spend time with them on site. So we've been to New Zealand, to South Africa, to the UK and Germany. We work in every country with them to really find the people in their local markets that we feel could potentially become conversation designers. And then we train them and we sort of support them through consultancy. And slowly they're building up these teams that can really create good chatbot and voice experiences. So that's the stuff that I'm most proud of, where they really recognize it as well and really invest in it. And you can see them reaping the benefits, right? So they have 30 million interactions a month. Mm-hmm. Well, if you can automate some of that, right, you're going to be saving so much money over time. That's and crazy. also be available 24-7 to talk to people. So you're going to have happier customers and you're going to save millions, really. So at that scale, that's obviously like super interesting and fun to work at. So basically the interaction that people have with Telco and your bot is for their website or from which platforms or mediums do they usually interact with that bot? So it's on, it's on the website, it's in the app, it's on Google Home, it's on Alexa. So what these companies are doing is building one big conversational engine and that you sort of decide which interface you put on top of that. So we design everything voice first. If you can figure out a use case through voice, 
then that's you know the most minimal interface that you have, right? So if it works in voice and you want to then deploy it in chat, well, then you even have the luxury of adding a few buttons or a picture, right? So if you design voice first, you can use it everywhere. If you design for a chatbot, then you might not necessarily be able to use it in voice. So what we do with companies like that is take all their major use cases across markets and work with those teams and design the most important use cases voice first. And then they, they use it on Google Assistant, they use it in the app, they use it on the website, they use it everywhere. That's amazing. It sounds like Teleco is a company that have many resources to build that kind of engine. But let's say that there is maybe also a big company, but they are not, I'm sure that you have clients like that. They don't want to put all of their efforts right now for creating that kind of conversational experiences, but they want to check it out. So let's say that we're an organization, a big one, we have fundings, but we just want to explore this field a little bit. So where should we start? Yeah, so what you see a lot of companies do is then go out and look for technology. And I think that's the big mistake that everybody's making, right? So they'll start with technology, with knowledge management or a business process. The best thing to do is to do like a little workshop and figure out, you know, what are some of the conversations that we're having with customers or employees that are costing us money that would be good if we could automate some of that. Let's take some of those use cases and sort of have like a design workshop and figure out what the conversation would look like. And would it actually be viable? And, you know, if you do that, then it's really you're spending a day or two, then you get a simple technology to sort of test it out real quick, right? And see if it works for you and your company. So there's really that first step in that maturity model where you don't have to overinvest, where you can just test the waters a little bit. But testing the waters should be more on the design part and the writing part rather than the technology part. I love that. So that's why you see a lot of companies make big mistakes and those are expensive mistakes to make. For sure. And there is so many technologies today that do automations and it's really hard to decide and you need some kind of professional that will guide you through it. And that professional should definitely be a designer that will just know how to solve that problem in the most affordable and like the best possible way with the technologies that exist today. So I, uh, I love the fact that you talked about that the designer should lead this boat and not the technical people. Yeah, definitely. Where do you see yourself and your company in five years from now in that field? That's a good question. So for us, what we want to be is, is the scrum of conversation design, right? So we have a design process that we know works well, that is delivering a lot of value. So we want that to be a standard and we want everybody that goes near a chatbot or voice assistant to understand that process and, and to be certified around that. So we see that as our big mission, right? So that's where we'll be heading five years from now. So we'll be a company that offers certificates, that offers training to prepare you for the certificate, that offers assessments to see you know, who can become that conversation designer and we'll be that company and obviously on top of that we'll have a, a very large database of people that are qualified that we can connect to brands etc that's amazing so so that's a division of it I, I sort of see three problems that conversation designers are, are solving 
like the easiest one is that you need conversation design to unlock the potential of conversational AI, right? So there's great advancements in, in AI, but nobody's getting the value from it. And you need designers to unlock that potential. So that's the big thing that, that drives us. And I see in general, like if you look at from a world problem or a world challenge, it's about advancing trust and communication between humans and AI. Well, that's going to keep us busy for a couple of years. Right now, the business problem that we're helping with is that companies are over-invested in, in conversational AI technology, and they're not getting the value. So let's train some designers to, to, you know, that you can directly get value from it and automate some stuff, because companies are looking to automate 85% of their interactions. Amazing. Yes, I see a bright future in that direction. You're already doing a fantastic job, Conversation Design Academy. I also will add a link in the show notes for your course. I highly recommend to check it out. One last question before we finish. So let's say that I'm a designer. I want to get into the field of conversation design. Maybe I want to do a project with a client or or reach out to clients. So what kind of tools do you think, like free top tools that you think I must be familiar with that's related to conversation design technology that I can help clients with those tools? Yeah, I think like you probably want to, you need to have at least some understanding of how these technologies work, right? So we'll see, sometimes we'll see designers come in and they understand they, they come from such a design background that they've always been intimidated by the technology. But here it is important that you do understand, you know, what the natural language understanding is and how that works and how these platforms are built around those things, right? What is an intent and what's, you know, an entity, etc. Those are just things that you need to know. Otherwise, you're gonna, they're not going to have much confidence in you. Around those technologies, you need to be able to just really talk about that a little bit and get their thoughts and then see what works best for them to at least have a conversation around that. So that's already, before you bring in anything yourself, that's just something that you need to know. Then it helps to have like a good prototyping tool. So if you use BotMock or Bot Society, I think there's more prototyping design tools out there now that you can use. We're never really sure which one to use. It's still tricky. Like It's a problem that hasn't really been solved yet mm-hmm. in the market. What's the best conversation design tool? Right. But be familiar with them and understand that. I think that's a big one. And I think being able to make a good flowchart. <laughs> like, right. It's interesting. Because you'll have people like... I think a lot of your audience, obviously, more UX, UX, but we'll have like very good copywriters, but they've never had to create a flowchart. So there's like all these people that excel at one point aren't very good at the other, right? So whatever you're good at, research the other part of it. Because some things like creating a flowchart, for me, that's a no-brainer how to do that. For some people, it's, it's, it feels like rocket science. So it depends on your background a little bit. So that's why it's important to understand the broader dynamics of the industry. So that makes it also easier for yourself to position yourself in it, right? Because if you're a very good writer, then you can say, well, I'm actually a conversational expert. So I focus more on tone of voice, psychology, and body personality, right? Then Then you've sort of claimed your own land. But if you're more the UX type, you'll say, well, I I zoom in most on, on the you know, natural flow of the conversation, I'm not the best writer. So you can need someone else for that. Right? So I think all these with different tools and a lot of times, depending on the technology that your client is using, it also influences the tools. Right. Because sometimes like you'll have like a wonderful design tool, but it's, if it's a very difficult handover to the engineers, then it's not going to work either. 
So I guess the answer is that there's not really an answer. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I will tell you what my takeaways, and I think I have a few from that answer. So if I'm trying to do some kind of a mock for a bot, I would use uh, something named Bot Society, right? Yeah, Bot Mark, Bot Society. Yeah. And those are two tools out of an ocean of many tools that no one knows today, like which one is the best because it's relatively new field and no one do it like that one is better than the other because of different reasons and the other one is better than the other because of other reasons, right? Yeah. So that's about those. The other takeaway, which I love, by the way, is to master a flow charts, which I also think it's important in general in UX. So many UX people are already supposed to be familiar with flow charts. I like to use Whimsical, which is also a no-brainer tool. You know, you can just like throw it in there and it will be really cool. You have also Miro, which is a new version of a real-time board, I think. Both of them are really good to help you to do flowcharts, but flowcharts are not only like the the tools that create them, but the ideas and you need to understand like information architecture basically to create a really decent flowchart. Yeah. Those are my takeaways. And I think that's a really good answer, by the way. And beforehand, you told me that uh, Facebook Messenger bots are not that great and you have your own tool. I guess it's not open for public, right? Well, as companies reach out and use it, so okay. I think one. Yeah, so one, it's not one question. Yeah, it's, it's a very simple tool. It's quite useful. It's it's uh, we have lots of big clients running on it actually, but it's very campaign focused. Got it. So it's only enterprise. So if we have enterprise listening, I could recommend them to use that tool. But let's say that I'm a freelancer that want to play with lead generation. What would you recommend? Landbot. Landbot type form. Active chat is one. I haven't used most of it. I I have used type form or done some work with them. So we got to explore that, and it was it was very good and very simple to work with. Amazing. They've put a lot of thought into it. So I, I, that would be my go-to now. But I'm sure there's many others out there. I will check that phone because I'm already a premium member and I didn't know they have this feature. Okay, yeah. It might not be open to everyone yet, but it is. Oh, uh, yeah. it should be there soon. Okay. So I'll, uh, I'll check it out once in a while. You can say I'll publish it as a chatbot or something and then you'll have different settings there. Amazing. So thank you for a fantastic interview. I had a pleasure and I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next event or what's your next speaking event? I'm not sure yet. Like okay, we okay, have okay. stuff in New York. I know that there's going to be one in San Francisco, but uh, I'm trying to find stuff a little closer to home. So <laughs> maybe you support <laughs> Right. So I'll keep follow and hopefully I could attend uh, one of your next talks. Yeah, it should be fun. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's good seeing you. You too. Thank you so much and have a great day.